Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy Wednesday, March 24th, everyone. Good to be with you again here. Uh, gosh, lots to talk about, but not a lot to talk about. Obviously, the we're still on Frank Martin watch to see what happens there. Um, Eric Bossy from 24-7 Sports reported on our message board over the weekend that at the Final Four, the word is Frank will not be back. Uh, I think that's kind of the expectation. Uh, I think they're holding off uh, to see what opportunities he may have, just like last week. Nothing's really changed uh, in terms of the basketball situation. I I will admit it's kind of lingered a little bit longer than I thought. Uh, Today is Frank Martin's birthday, so I don't expect anything to happen today, obviously. Uh, If you're trying to do things the right way, obviously you're not going to, you know, come to an agreement there. Uh, I think the DePaul situation is uh, one that he has his eye on. And then maybe some other stuff if Cincinnati opens. Uh, you know, but at some point, you know, you, you don't wait forever. And uh, I don't think, to be honest, that, you know, it's going to keep them from getting a good coach if they wait. I think the pool kind of, just like football, sort of is what it is. Uh, and just like with football, you know, there were three or four guys that, we're in the mix for the job. Shane Beamer ended up getting it over Billy Napier and Scott Satterfield and uh, the other guys. I think those three at the end were the, were the guys. Uh, and so, you know, you, you sort of look at it, and that's just kind of how how it works and, and, and how I think football – basketball will play out as well. I don't know that there's, you know, anybody out there that, uh, you know, you got to get uh, – get ready to go roll with. Uh, I, I think some of the guys maybe that are in the sweet 16 could, um, could end up uh, maybe getting a phone call from Carolina, something like that. Maybe Parker Moser from Loyola, something like that. But th- those are all uh, what I believe will, will be fringe candidates until they're not. Uh, and so there's, there's really no rush. That said, uh, I do share uh, the anxiety that some people out there have and the, the uh, you know, the, the hurry up and wait kind of end of it because I think everybody that, you know, cares about Carolina basketball wants a resolution to the situation. And, you know, they want to move on. And um, I think that's natural uh, for anybody to sort of feel and, uh, and all that. So, you know, hang tight. I think, uh, I think change is coming. I still believe that. Uh, like I've said before, it would take a lot of minds being changed, in my opinion, uh, for Frank Martin to be back in, in, in for a year 10 at South Carolina. Uh, and that's just reading the tea leaves. Now, it's not, I'm not saying, you know, you guys know me. I'm not one of these people that you know, necessarily is there with a pitchfork uh, wanting Frank Martin to leave. I, I think that, uh, you know, you look and, and people say the one out of nine thing over and over and over again, like a broken record. And, and that's true. That's factual. And I'm not going to, you know, when people are spitting facts, those are the facts of the situation. I, I think it's much more about what's happened the last four years, even more so than this year. Uh, because I think that with any kind of job, you know, you, you kind of get 
what I call money in the bank. And you, you can build up a lot of goodwill uh, if you're going to the postseason. And then you have a COVID year where things just didn't go right. The bottom sort of fell out. Uh, and then you look back and you go, well, you know, three of the four years since the final four, they've, they've been in the NIT twice and NCAAs once or something like that. Not saying that's exactly how it would have played out, but you know, you look back to the losses to Boston university, uh, to Stony Brook, uh, to Stetson, uh, to Vanderbilt, you know, some, some games like that, that, you know, if they'd have gone a different way, we'd be in a different conversation right now. And, and so that's, that's performance based. I mean, that's, you are what your record is. Uh, and, you know, you, you look back and doggone it, you know, this program since the final four has actually been pretty close, had a few things gone um, different ways uh, in certain games for the past three years. And, uh, you know, there's also, you know, getting screwed out of the NCAA tournament in 2015-16 we can look at. You can also look at the the NIT. You know, there, there would have been a bunch of NITs. Uh, had the the criteria for that particular tournament not changed uh, with the mid-major champions getting invited uh, and that type of thing. So that's, uh, you know, th- there are a lot of what-ifs when you look at it. It's not just one for nine. But but I think when you kind of examine what's happened during the window since the Final Four, you know, you, you see that you know, everything's about trajectory. We said that during football. And, uh, and the trajectory is not good. You know, and uh, if if things change dramatically behind the scenes and Frank comes back, Frank Martin, then, you know, obviously he's going to be tasked with, with fixing it. And that's easier said than done, especially, you know, there's an opportunity, I think, uh, with the transfer portal and instant eligibility and all of that, and especially in the sport of basketball, uh, you can go fill up a roster pretty quick, but you know, is Frank Martin that guy to do that at South Carolina? That's the question. I don't know the answer to that. I would hope, you know, he would be a guy that could do it, but, you know, he's a system coach. And and so guys come in and they get better when they're part of his system and they're there for multiple years. Guys that do not do well under him are are kind of there and out. Uh, And and so that would be a concern as well. But um, I know that's what everybody wants to talk about, quite frankly. That's why we hadn't had a podcast, because I've just kind of been waiting on on the news to come every single day. But uh, we got to Wednesday, and I felt like, man, you know, we got to talk about this, because um, the audience awaits, so to speak. Uh, And so that's that's the deal there. Uh, You know, you talk about the job, too. uh, And I I had a conversation with someone about this. You know, this job since Frank McGuire has probably hired better than it should. Uh, And and if you think about this, you know, of the seven coaches they've had, they've hired four away from high sitting high major jobs. They hired Bill Foster from Duke as as a head coach. Then you had George Felton. He was an assistant at Georgia Tech. And then you had Steve Newton, a mid-major guy. But then you had Eddie Fogler from Vandy coming off an SEC championship. From right there in the division, you had Dave Odom from Wake Forest, another tobacco road guy. Uh, then you went Darren Horn, but then you came back with Frank Martin from Kansas State. So it isn't like South Carolina hasn't been able to go hire coaches. Now, there's different reasons why these guys did not have long-term success at South Carolina. Um you know, and, and there's different reasons why when you look back on it at the end of the day, and, and they're very different reasons. They're very different reasons. 
why, you know, things didn't get more traction uh, after the final four, after whether that's the final four capitalizing on that, whether that's Eddie Fogler capitalizing on 47 and 16 over two years, whether that's, you know, Dave Odom should have been in the NCAA tournament, at least with the second NIT team. Um, you know, there's just different reasons, uh, different reasons for why this job, you know, even though it has been attractive for some reason to a lot of good coaches and proven coaches that they haven't been able to take off, you know, and, and so we'll see, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a combination of things. And I, I think that, you know, South Carolina for a while there, you know, you sort of looked at it and they're like, well, the Gamecocks cycled up 151 games in two years and they cycled back down a little bit. They should be able to cycle back up just like most SEC programs do. Uh, but they, they, they've, they hadn't cycled back, you know, and, and, and there's been years, not this year necessarily, but where some very, very frustrating and unexpected losses have taken place that, that have kind of torpedoed any chance to build on the final four and build that momentum. And, and so that's kind of what's going on there. Uh, I think, you know, I'm very curious to see who ends up, you know, getting in the mix for the job. You know, Gamecock alum Michael Boynton, in my opinion, will be a guy they certainly target. Uh, I think Bobby Hurley from Arizona State will be a guy that will be mentioned in connection with the job. I think Bob Ritchie from Furman, Pat Kelsey from Winthrop. Um, you know, you sort of look down it, and and then you don't know who's going to come out of nowhere. I mean, you, you just don't – you just don't know. You know, I, I remember the Dave Odom search that uh, – and I've said this before, I thought that was the longest search – Gamecock basketball is really had that took some twists and turns. You know, I know you had the Crimmins Fogler thing, but it was like Crimmins was the only candidate. And then, you know, he got it. And it wasn't a fiasco like the, like the Steve Newton hire. That was, that was a fiasco, but just a normal search. You know, they ended up landing on Dave Odom. Um, it came down to Odom and Bobby Crimmins. Uh, they were going to go hire him, but I kind of wish they would have nothing against Dave Odom. But uh, it didn't. You know, Greg Marshall was just starting at Winthrop at the time. Nobody knew about his issues. <laughs> Somebody did, you know, I guess, uh, at the end of the day. That's probably why he's never gotten a serious shake at the job. But, you know, Mike McGee went out and, you know, Tubby Smith tried to hire Tubby Smith from Kentucky and almost had it done. And if you remember, Tubby Smith years later left Kentucky for Minnesota. So that, was, that wasn't as unprecedented as you may have thought. And then – out of nowhere, Jim Calhoun, uh, his name surfaces for the job. So McGee was working behind the scenes. So you never know if somebody, you know, if there's going to be somebody uh, pop up like that, you know, with this job. Now, I just said, I think it's probably going to be the guy, you know, the pool is just going to kind of be what it is, what it is. But when you look at it, those names I just mentioned, I mean, all those guys are winners. Uh, there's some very some very big names. There's a you know sitting Pac-12 coach, sitting Big 12 coach, and then two really good mid majors, and uh, then you never know who else uh, may pop up and get in the mix for the job. So uh, I, I I don't think I don't think all is lost, and you're going to land on Steve Newton or Darren Horn with, with this one. Uh, you know now th- does this guarantee success? No, because for the life of me. <laughs> I thought Frank Martin inherited a very tough situation and then boom, year, what is it? Year five, year six, year five, he goes to the final four. I was like, well, it just took that long and here you go. I mean, it was, 
it was sort of like uh, Eddie Fogler in, in his build because year one and two, Fogler was just not they they were building. You know, year three he got to the NIT. Frank's third team probably would have been in the NIT had again the rules not been different. They were seventeen and sixteen, and then uh, and then boom, twenty five wins, twenty six wins in the final four, and then eh, the bottom didn't fall completely out like it did on Fogler, but. They slipped and then slipped again, and then you know another 500 season. And then last year, honestly, that that team should have won two or three more games, you know, and, and been right there. But that that just kind of shows you the margin for error, you know. South Carolina athletics, and I said this on the board the other day. It's there's just it's unforgiving, um, and the SEC in basketball. Let, let's be clear does not have the history and tradition uh, top to bottom that, that the league does in football or baseball or women's basketball. Uh, you know, you're talking about women, the women's game. You, you've got one of the best programs of all time in Tennessee and South Carolina certainly can make a claim to that. You've got A&M, you've got Georgia, uh, you know, these even schools like Ole Miss and LSU and, and Florida have been good over the years. Uh, Mississippi state certainly does not take a back seat. Uh, with what they've accomplished the last few years. I know they lost their coach to Texas, but, uh, I, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, that that's that's different than the men's game where, honestly, programs go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. Kentucky went down this year for some reason. <laughs> you know, that team was not your normal Kentucky team, you know. And uh, so I, I think you look at it and you're like, well, men's basketball, it should be easier, but – you start looking at the coaches in this league and you start looking at it and you're like, well, Buzz Williams, who I think is one of the best coaches in the country, uh, finished 12th in the league this year. I mean, Frank Martin went six and 15, say what you want about him, but you know, pretty good coach before this year. And so I'm sorry, I got a little bit of the sniffles here. Uh, but that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, it, it's, you know, you've got guys like Ben Howland sitting at Mississippi state who's been to the final four, what, three times at UCLA, pretty good coach, you know, Will Wade, uh, who lost this weekend, obviously is recruiting at a high level. Obviously they win games, Rick Barnes at Tennessee. You know, you looked at Tom Crean who took Marquette to a final four and won big twin 10 championships in Indiana is at Georgia now treading water in a lot of ways. And he signed the number one guy in the country a couple of years ago, there for one year, Anthony Edwards. So it is an unforgiving deal across the board uh, and, and in all sports right now at South Carolina in the SEC. Now, before some start thinking it's a good idea to leave the league, it's not. It's uh, South Carolina needs money. You need money to compete these days. The SEC provides that money. Uh, I promise you that, the, you know, the money they've invested will see a return pretty soon, uh, especially in football. Uh, with the the visits being able to take place this summer and all that. Uh, but, it, it, you know, South Carolina needs money to compete. And, you know, it is unforgiving competition-wise, but it's not like this program across the board for 30 years has just been blah. There have been moments where South Carolina has been able to compete for the league championship across the board, win uh, league championships in baseball, 
I know they wanted football or I'm sorry, basketball once won a division in football probably should have been a little better than that, but it's not like this program just can't get in position. Not like it, you know, Vanderbilt with the exception of baseball, Vanderbilt has a lot of challenges, you know, in terms of how they, how they fit in the league. Uh, South Carolina does not, they, 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 you know, they lack the tradition and history of a lot of these programs and it's going to be unforgiving the level of competition, but uh, it's not like they don't have the resources, but you know, it, it, and so back to basketball. I mean, it, it's a situation now where you look at this league and the coaches you're playing every night and the teams you're playing and heck, you know, like I said, teams go up, they go down and that could obviously, <laughs> obviously uh, that's an issue when you're, you're playing good competition. I mean, shoot Florida, it, outside of Kentucky is probably the most consistent team in the league. And you, you saw them, they, they got bounced again uh, by Oral Roberts. That's a heck of a – Oral Roberts has two really, really good players, by the way. Got a chance to watch them and certainly was happy to see that upset. But, it, you know, it, it's just one of those things. You, you just have to kind of uh, – you got to have to navigate it. You got to get the right people in place if you're going to make a move. So that's uh, that's the reality across the board right now at South Carolina. And that's just how it is. So, all right. So switching gears from basketball now. Uh, and you know, you know what? I'll add one more thing and how, how I can kind of relate to you guys. The, the final four was such a great run. And we've all, all of us, even if we're not huge basketball fans, we all watch March Madness and, uh, I got a chance to watch some over the weekend. I had some friends come in town Friday, Saturday, but then Sunday, Monday, I was I was sitting there in my normal perch watching the second round. Uh, and it was just such a good feeling, I think, uh, to, to see your team go and, and, and accomplish something like that, not just win a game or whatever, but, um, you know, advance all the way to the pinnacle of the sport. And – you know, we're sitting there in Phoenix, and Gamecocks had just as big of a crowd as Gonzaga or North Carolina. I think you could see North Carolina's fans better because of that blue. But uh, and Oregon, they're they're, they're greenish yellow stuff. <laughs> but uh, you know, and so it's sad to sit there and watch. In a way, you know, I still enjoy it, but it's it's you know, when your team goes, you want to go back. I mean, that that's the whole thing. That's what having a successful basketball program is all about. Frank Martin even said it. He's like, I want to get to Monday now, you know. And so, so it's just sad where things have gone in the last four years. And, and, and it's, it's a cycle with this athletics program that repeats itself over and over and over. And I, I think there are different reasons with different sports. But, you know, and I think what I talked about, about the league being unforgiving across the board has a lot to do with that. But, you know – I can relate. I'm just, you know, those of you that are frustrated with it right now, watching all these teams play, uh, I can relate. All right. Speaking of uh, sports, spring football started. They've had one practice. Uh, good stuff so far. Uh, like I said many, many times, the, the, the things that they're accomplishing right now uh, are good for when you face adversity down the road, but they have not faced adversity yet. It's just practice, um, and uh, there's only been one, and they have pro day today. We'll talk about that here in a second, but 
Uh, one good thing John Whittle had in the VIP room on the big spur, and you can still join for a dollar if you want. I think we still have that special. Uh, I talked about Marcus Satterfield and how with this offense, it's easy to kind of teach and explain. And, and I think that's a good thing because I, I think that when South Carolina historically has been simplified on both sides of the ball, they've had a better shot at success. And people are like, well, well, Steve Spurrier was the coach. and His offense is, you know, hard to learn. No, it's, it's Spurrier's offense actually was never hard to learn. It was uh, – it's probably hard to execute uh, unless you're familiar with how to play in it. But, but as we've seen over the years, like most quarterbacks, when they're – even if they're not – like let's say they're limited, even if – you know, even if they're limited, right – once they get it going in that system, you you see completed passes, <laughs> yardage, things like that, and 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 it's because for you know to teach it, it was it was simple to execute it. You, you had to kind of think on your feet, um, but so far with the installation, it's good. And uh, there was some good stuff about Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, in there. And I and I think you know Coach Satterfield, sort of the unknown when you talk about the coordinators. You you can look at Clayton White's run uh, on defense at uh, Western Kentucky. And, and you saw they had a really good defense, especially for Western Kentucky in that league. Uh, I think you can look back on Pete Limbo and what he's done on special teams and as a head coach. Uh, Satterfield, you, you know, they, they he was OC at Temple for three years and, you know, then wasn't the OC at Baylor and then was a head coach at Tennessee Tech. And then, you know, you have to kind of go back to the Tennessee Martin and Chattanooga days uh, to see where he put up some big numbers. And then people talk about the Lincoln Riley and uh, Joe Brady influence. And, and that's obviously different than what he ran for Matt Rule at Temple. So th- there's a lot of unknowns, you know, just in terms of how will this work? It's not like, you know, going and hiring a guy that's, you know, put up all, you know, a guy like a Noel Mazzoni, you know, from, uh, I guess he was at A&M with someone in Arizona. He's, been a coordinator in the league for a long time or a Mike Bobo who you know you know you, you know what you're going to get with him as far as a play caller goes so so it's an unknown so anything positive you hear about that that's that's a good sign uh because when your players can't learn what you want to do you know they're not going to do it well and, and then you're going to run into a situation where you, you know, you're kind of limited in what you can call uh and things like that because they just can't do it you got to do what your players can do and do it successfully that that's and I know you guys heard Will Muschamp say that a lot, and you probably are throwing stuff at the radio right now. But that's a, that's a, that's a universal truth in coaching, and there there hasn't been a good head coach that ever has said, "We're going to run stuff my players cannot run," <laughs> and go from there. All right. So even Mike Leach, who is married to his system, even Mike Leach said at Mississippi State before they started this year, he's like, "We're just not in a position right now to run the whole thing. We're going to do what." Players can do best. That that's what you have to do. That's a universal truth in coaching. And so, the more the players are able to learn, the more you're able to do. And so, I thought that was a very positive early nugget coming out of spring practice. Uh, everybody's still happy, 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 positive, all that good stuff. And and I expect that to continue right on up until the season. And and I think you can carry that positive energy into the season. That's going to help when you ultimately do face adversity, because I can guarantee you right now, South Carolina is not going undefeated this year. They're not going undefeated. 
Uh, they probably will lose a game, most likely. I know nobody hopes that they lose a game, but uh, they'll, they'll lose a game. And, and so when that happens, as I've said many times, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, uh, you know, you, you, how, to, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And that's, that, that's the key there. Uh, you look at last year's team, they did not respond well. They did not respond well. You, you get a win over Auburn, you go lay an egg at LSU, you get back up and play probably your worst game of the year against AM. You did not respond. And you got to, you got to respond in sports, I think. Uh, recruiting going pretty well. Wanted to mention this kid from Pennsylvania, Abdul Carter, six foot four, 235 pound linebacker. You know, looking at it, uh, they're really doing a good job hitting the Northeast, trying to reestablish themselves. Um, up in that area, I mean, it's been since G.A. Mangus really uh, had the uh, – had a, I don't know, a, a little bit of a pipeline. I mean, there were some guys out of New Jersey that because of injury or other reasons didn't really work out. Tanner McAvoy with the quarterback situation. Sheldon Royster had a really a debilitating injury that hurt him. Demir Bird, uh, obviously still in the NFL. <laughs> got him out of New Jersey. And, you know, so – and I think it's good to spot recruit up that way. If you can get two or three guys, great. Uh, I also like the fact that this staff uh, – and old Abdul Carter, he says he's going to visit. And so that's uh, that's good. That's going to be a good thing. Um, you know, the more you can get these guys from out of region on campus, the better. Uh, Ole Miss, Penn State, LSU, South Carolina – and guys like this with that kind of thing on their list, when you talk about, you know, visiting, if you have more than one Southern school, and this guy's from Winmore, Pennsylvania, LaSalle, then that means you, you, you may go to Penn State for sure. Penn State's going to be tough to beat on kids like that. But, you know, if you're willing to visit Ole Miss and LSU, South Carolina's going to be right there as far as, uh, coming into the game and, 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 you know, showing a willingness to go south. And, and so I think that's a very positive thing. Uh, also, Tony Morrell reports today that South Carolina offered Gardendale, Alabama safety, Jordan Thomas. Uh, Mississippi State, Tennessee jumped on him right after that. Torian Gray doing work. And, and I'll say this, Alabama is another state. You have to navigate it because – you offer a kid, you're, you're on him. Alabama and Auburn are staying away. You got a shot. Most of the time, you'll get a pretty good player. If you look at the history of even as recently as, you know, Taylor Stallworth at South Carolina, you know, there are too many players in that state for Bama and Auburn to take all of them. And half of Bama's class every year is out of state. So, because of how they recruit. Uh, and Auburn's always going to work Georgia really hard and Florida really hard and things like that. So, there are players in the state of Alabama you can go get, and South Carolina's offered uh, quite a few of them for 2022. And uh, I think that's a, that's a good place to go shopping, so to speak, uh, if you're going to go try to find players. South Carolina's offered 16 players in Alabama for the 2022 class. Uh, North Carolina 11, South Carolina 11, just so, so by, by comparison there. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a, spot, a positive place uh, to go, uh, as Bill King used to like to say, shop for the groceries uh, when you're talking about recruiting. And, and uh, 
So I, I think that's another positive, just kind of getting into the granular of football recruiting uh, and what Shane Beamer and his staff have done. I, I think hitting the Northeast makes sense. The DMV makes sense. Virginia makes sense. And then going West into Alabama makes a lot of sense as well. Just because, like I said, you, you could find players out there. Good, de- good deal for the baseball team this weekend, right? Uh, sitting there watching the game Sunday, Carolina held on and won, salvaged the game, broke a losing streak, which was ugly. It was getting ugly. I think six game losing streak to go to go to 12 and six. And then they came back nicely on Tuesday night, responded and beat the Citadel. Uh, you know, last week they lost to Davidson midweek. And that, that when you lose midweek games in baseball, I think it just compounds things. Because, uh, you, you know, you're playing tough competition every weekend. Uh, so you, you let a Davidson come in there and beat you. That's not that's not cool. But good win, big win to get up off the mat on Sunday, beat Vandy by a run up there, uh, and then beat the Citadel. So sitting at 13-6 and six with the Gators coming in this weekend, it, it doesn't get any easier, folks. Uh, but I, I think, you know, like I said, getting back up off the mat, winning, you know, put that six-game losing streak behind you, uh, I still think this team can play good baseball this year. I, I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. Uh, I know that Whittle on the site has said, well, if they can get two wins for the first, you know, start two and four in the league, that's pretty good. But, you know, then you look down the road and you still got the West teams that are really good coming up too. So, I shoot, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be a, a a brutal slugfest here in, in baseball. Uh, to end the season, but that's, you know, for the rest of the season, we're not close to the end of the season yet, but for the rest of the season. Uh, and, and that's just, that's just kind of how it is in the league this year. You know, South Carolina, uh, what, what you don't want to have happen is another six game losing streak or something like that. You, you want the, the, the six game losing streak needs to be in the rear view mirror and you need to, you know, play your game, play ball, play consistently the rest of the year. And, and I think things will work out pretty fine for Mark Kingston and his group. Uh, but certainly, you know, you, you get swept this weekend and lose a few more. I mean, all of a sudden your record starts getting closer to 500, and that's not that's not good at all. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, so I think we've run the gamut with all the sports. Now, of course, the women's basketball team is in the Sweet 16 again. Congratulations to them. Uh, they won in San Antonio against Oregon State. That's everybody's dream matchup. And that's not the first time that uh, the Gamecocks have played Oregon State in the NCAA tournament. And um, how about uh, Oregon State's men's team is in the Sweet 16. Oregon and Oregon State. Beavers and the Ducks in the Sweet 16 on the men's side. Uh, But the Gamecocks, you know, 59-42. Really, there was no doubt with this game. Uh, And then – Everything moves forward, and South Carolina plays Georgia Tech, the Georgia Tech women's basketball team uh, at the Sweet 16 coming up. And so that's uh, that's how, how, how it is right now. Georgia Tech's the next team uh, on the list, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Yeah, a lot of people, because of some of the losses this team's taken this year, I think – tend to harp on that and tend to harp on the, the bad stretches of play this group's got because the expectations are just so high. Uh, but I'll say this, guys. Look, NCAA tournament's a different deal. And you see it on the men's side and the women's side. It, it, even if you lose 
a couple of games that are head scratchers. I've seen teams that that do that. Like, I, like I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I don't know if they're going to win it or not, but I picked Michigan in my bracket on the men's side. And, you know, they lost by 23 at home to Illinois with a Big Ten on the line and did not win the Big Ten tournament and all that. But, but that's a good basketball team, though. And sometimes teams, uh, if they don't, you know, it's what you do in the tournament. Uh, the regular season doesn't matter. And so South Carolina, you know, I think uh, playing pretty good basketball right now. We'll, we'll see kind of what happens with um, with everything. Also, it was announced today that the Battle of Atlantis uh, tournament next year, game cost me playing UConn in that early on. Uh, and so we'll see kind of what happens with, with all that good stuff next year. So that's a, that's a big positive. It's a big positive. So I think that, um, I mean, here, here we go. Gamecocks just have to keep on trucking <laughs> and try to get it done uh, as far as the uh, NCAA tournament goes um, and all that. So we will see ultimately what happens there. I do believe – so the Gamecocks play Thursday. Well, there's no, no schedule there. Goodness gracious. Uh, I was trying to see, like, what the bracket looks like. And um, can't see. Okay. So, all right. South Carolina plays Georgia Tech. And then you've got UCLA and I believe Texas on the other side. And then Maryland, you know, I would think. Guys, I don't know. This is like this is very kind of confusing here. I'm looking at the the turn. It's like guys got everybody's picks in it. So anyway, we'll see see what happens. I know Maryland's the number two seed on the other side and all that, and people are kind of worried. All right, mailbag time. Two ways to get to the mailbag: tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. By the way, how about that Jay Graham thing? Jay Graham, former Gamecock assistant, went to Alabama, special teams coordinator, tight ends coach. Went through first spring practice. Saban had a lot of good things to say about him. And then he resigned today. This thing is kind of weird. Uh, the Athletic is reporting that it has nothing to do with Tennessee and the situation he was with there. Of course, they're getting investigated and all that, which I think makes the situation even more weird. But that's just kind of how it goes. So, I you know, I wish Jay Graham all the best. I think I think he's a heck of a dude and a heck of a recruiter and, and obviously – there's been some things that have been a little bumpy in his career recently, but uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a little concerned uh, about him. Also, pro day today, uh, and I'm going to be on JB and Goldwater uh, starting at, uh, I believe, 1230. We usually go for about an hour, uh, and we'll talk about pro day and all that good stuff. But, you know, that's pro day. Jay Graham, different story. Alabama certainly wish him the luck, but the best of luck. Pro day today, Izzy McQuamu is working out. Uh, J.C. Horn's working out. Those guys talked about opting out and all that good stuff. I know there's some hard feelings there. Uh, and I'll say this, you know, look, it's over and done with, no matter, regardless of how you felt about ultimate performance by some of these guys. You know, I, I thought obviously J.C. Horn was elite. Um, I, I think Izzy McQuamu is upside, basically. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him be a little more consistent. Uh, especially at corner where he's wanting to play. But, uh, you know, it, it's not in anybody's best interest if you like the Gamecocks to, to worry about 
you know, those guys and the opting out and all that, because it, it's, it's a situation where it's over and done with, and it's in the best interest of South Carolina football for those guys to be as successful as possible at the next level. So that that's the deal there. And I'll just say that I don't think it, you know, no matter how you feel about it, I don't think it does anybody any good to sit there and I don't know, just, uh, I guess not whine and complain so much, just, uh, you know, just just hardcore butthurt feelings. You know, somebody was talking about the guy wanting praise, Izzy McQuamu wanting praise, and all that good stuff. So, anyway, just just I would chill out about it because you know, it, it, bottom line is the, the guys played at South Carolina. The more players you put in the NFL, the better your chances are of um, you know uh, of, of recruiting at a high level. You know, you can sit there and point to all these guys, and that helps in recruiting. All right, mailbag again. Tweet to add the Big Spur Pod. Please follow that. Please follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram, or you can email uh, Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And uh, so the first one comes in from Mitchell. Hope all is well at a moment with factors such as seasons within the last 10 years, victories, facilities, history. Where would you rank South Carolina specifically in football? Compared with the rest of the SEC schools, for me, I created a ranking of SEC football schools based on groups of factors, which I learned from a Bill Polian podcast I listen to along with your show. With these groups, I view the SEC. Here's how I view the SEC jobs at the moment. Group C, eight or nine wins would be fantastic. Getting to a conference national stage would be hard. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi State. I mean, I, I, as far as a job goes, I agree with you. Now, Mississippi State, if they were not in the West, I would probably – and I would probably put Ole Miss in Group C, too, just because they haven't done it. Ole Miss oh, – Mississippi State's been to Atlanta. Uh, Ole Miss is not. Uh, and so I would kind of put those two schools – and it's just because of the West. I mean, you, you know, the year Alabama loses two games – uh, LSU is one of the best teams in the history of college football. I mean, that's just that's rea- the cold reality. I mean, we all remember the mid part of this past decade where Ole Miss and Mississippi State were ranked in the top five. They couldn't get out of the division. Uh, and so I think that's tough. Uh, you know, obviously Missouri did win the division twice and, and all that during a very down time. Uh, and the Gamecocks still should have won the 2013 division title. But that's how it is. It's hard for Kentucky once they get to a certain point. You know, I know they've beaten the Gamecocks, but they have a ceiling. And we're not talking about teams and recent performance. We're talking about programs and jobs and and things like that. Um, Group B, he goes, not a championship contender, but can get there. He has Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, South Carolina. Uh, I would agree with that. I, you know, I don't know that I put Carolina right now. Uh, ahead of Tennessee, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, maybe right in the middle of that group, uh, just because there is a trend line there recently, and and this program has to prove it can do it without Steve Spurrier being its coach, uh, because that that's kind of the narrative you're up against. Um, and then Group A teams that have won the national, won at the national conference level the past 10 years, Auburn, Texas A&M, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Bama. Now, I'll be clear, I know A&M was close to making the playoff this past season, but they didn't make it, uh, and they have not won a division. And, again, they're in the West, so 
And you look at A&M's history, and I know, I know for Gamecock fans, what are they sitting at, 0-7 against the Aggies right now? It's hard because A&M seems like this big, hard team, and it it seemed recently like it's getting worse. And I do think Jimbo Fisher's got that thing heading in the right direction to where it's a consistent type of outfit. But you look at their history, it, it's not – I mean, R.C. Slocum won some games there and some conference titles, but it wasn't – you know, they're not that much better – historically the South Carolina and they're not not even close to like Tennessee uh, you could actually make an argument Arkansas has a better history than A&M but you're, you're right in the sense you can't ignore the resources that they've got and uh, and all that but that's uh you know he said and even though I rank these teams into groups every team except Vandy has won at least 10 games once in the last 10 years that's true uh, so maybe football cyclical I keep talking about basketball maybe football cyclical um, with this, it's proven that most schools in the SEC can compete at the conference national level. Uh, I get frustrated at times with the National College Football Media saying if you go to a school like South Carolina or Mississippi State, you have no chance at winning. It's complete baloney. That's true. I mean, those teams, South Carolina and Mississippi State, should go to bowl games every year and all that good stuff. You have no – you know, history says your chances of playing in Atlanta are, are not good because that's only happened once in 1998 and once in 2010 at both places. But those teams have a chance. The, the only team, only program in the league that doesn't have a chance, and, and you mentioned Vandy has failed to win 10 games at least once. They did win nine in back-to-back years under James Franklin. Uh, Vandy's the, the, the team is kind of behind the eight ball. Or uh, as a program, and they've just got challenges relative to their program uh, that a lot of schools do. You know, a lot of schools that are kind of on Vandy's level have have challenges. I don't know why they're struggling basketball like they have. I mean, they, they had what three NBA players and went zero and nineteen in the league a couple of years ago. Um, but but football wise, I get it. It's hard for the Vandys and the Dukes of the world to to keep up and, and, and be good year in and year out just because it's hard to recruit when you're recruiting academically and everybody else in the league, you know, doesn't have to do that. So uh, it is difficult. So Mitchell, that's a very good email and I appreciate you sending it in. All right. So Justin switches gears or I'm sorry, Mr. White says, Hey JC, appreciate what you and your staff on the big spur do and love your podcast. I've seen and heard some conflicting information about the men's basketball situation between Whittle on the site and you on the pod. I hope you can clear it up. Is money an issue moving off of Frank Martin? Um, okay, so so here's – and I know Whittle, you sent me a screenshot. Whittle said money is an issue. And the issue is if you can avoid paying the $6 million buyout, you wait, okay? But I have not heard from anyone – in fact, it was – Somebody kind of laughed at me about the $6 million buyout being a drop in the bucket. Like as far as, you know, yeah, Muschamp's buyout, that, that was that was some serious. I mean, that, that, that was a little bit, you know, high, I guess. Um, and it still wasn't an issue for making a change and hiring a new staff. I mean, Shane Beamer has had, uh, you know, it seems like he adds to his staff every, every week. Pat DeMarco, the most recent guy, is there as an analyst now. Um, but you know, with basketball, the, the, the 6 million is not going to, 
break the bank for the Gamecocks. So, so that's the answer there. And I think people have different uh, opinions about money, you know, as far as is money an issue? Well, yeah, money's an issue in the sense that this is why it's taken a little bit longer to come to a resolution because if you don't want, if you don't have to spend it, why would you do it? During a pandemic when your budget's shot, I mean, why, why would you, you know, 6 million and uh, a ton of money, but it, it hell every little bit helps. And, and if you, you can kind of wait and everybody walks away happy, then that's what you do. Uh, but I would be completely stunned. And look, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again, but until I hear it from somebody I trust, I have to go with what I'm told. I would be stunned if they announced Frank Martin's coming back. And the reason is because he's got this big buyout and we can't afford it. Um, and nobody's going to come out and say that, but I'd be surprised if it was reported that way, you know, cause people get information behind the scenes. Um, I just don't think it's that, uh, that, that big of a stumbling block, uh, especially when you kind of look out and you see, the guys you could get the prices you could pay and all that good stuff. So I, I, I don't know that that's, you know, and, and like I said, different people have different issues when it comes to money. And I know, I know that right now everybody's waiting on things to happen. And so you, you get frustrated and, you know, you start thinking, why is this taking so long? And that kind of, you point to money and you're like, wow, that's money. Uh, and my answer to that is it is and it isn't. It is in the sense that if you can save that cash, you do it. Um, but it isn't from the sense that, you know, that's fundamentally not going to be a barrier to an outcome. If uh, if there's a change of heart and everybody decides, let's rally around Frank for one more year at least and see if he can fix it, then that's that's a change of heart that's not going to have much. I mean, like I said, I'd be stunned uh, outside of like your normal speculation. If there's a report out there where sources have said to somebody that, uh, that, Oh, they couldn't afford the buyout. So they didn't do it. That would be bad. I think I I would have some things to say about that. I would think, but uh, no, from what I'm told, it's that that's a complete non-issue. So Thanks for the email, Mr. White. Certainly appreciate all you guys emailing in and hitting it up on Twitter and all that good stuff, hitting it up. Hit me up on Twitter <laughs> at the Big Spur Pod once again. So, uh, yeah, so that's good. So that's today's episode. Uh, like I said, anything breaks, I'll be back. Probably should have been back before this, but just kind of just kind of waiting, waiting. Here's a little baseball nugget. Uh, Far is starting Friday. Jordan is starting Saturday. Kingston said Sunday is TBA. Brett Carey could be the third starter. Nothing physically wrong with Bosnick. It's about how things are trending. So Gamecocks may have a new third starter this weekend against the Gators, uh, and we'll talk more about that at some point. All right. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen, to the Inside of the Gamecocks podcast. Please be sure to continue to rate us five stars, write a review on Apple Pods. That helps get us up in the rankings. Last I checked, we were the number one Gamecock podcast as far as the rankings go, so I appreciate all that and the help that you guys give me in making this a, a nice product that people enjoy listening to. All right, don't forget JB and Goldwater today. Uh, if you missed the actual interview, it's on their podcast. You can get that on Apple as well. And uh, looking forward to uh, hollering at you guys soon. This is Inside the Gamecocks, J.C. Sherbert.